Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, President, and Founder of GSD Get Shit Done Venture Studios. We're a premier AI, generative AI, and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. I'm a 17-time serial entrepreneur. We're 17 uni unicorns, uh, excuse me, companies under the belt and two unicorns. Oh, I almost went to 17. I'm thinking about the future. Today, we have 142 companies inside of GST, which is Get You Done Venture Studios from 57 countries around the world. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities are not. So with that, I'd like to uh, introduce my incredible guest, Francesca uh, Tabor. She's a uh, speaker. She is a consultant. She's uh, done the uh, Generative AI Conference in London. She's been involved in companies all the way from uh, from the technical part to marketing. So with that, I'd like to bring Francesca on board. Hello. Hi, Hi Francesca. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Super. So tell me a little bit about your journey. So how did you get started? I know you were at HelloFresh and you were at the Chartered um, Management Institute, but how did you get started in AI? Sure. Um, so right now, I I started my AI journey fairly recently. Um, so since February this year, I've um, I have GenAIcon, which is a conference company. Um, so we did our first conference in June with 200 people. Now we're looking at doing conferences next year in Saudi and and different. Uh, locations across the world which is really exciting um and then i also have fashion ai which is a community of independent fashion designers that use ai for designing um, but now i'm consulting more broadly the fashion industry and looking at how ai can help with manufacturing with demand forecasting with with different elements of uh running up of the fashion industry at large well, you know, the interesting thing in Francesca is that you, there's a new model in place. You might want to think about this. These large LLMs that are multimodal. By that, I mean, it allows you to be able to use the strength of each one of the generative AI tools to be able to solve extremely, extremely complex problems. So, for instance, we recently took one of those and we put it on the global warming problem. And ChatGPT became the manager, the director, and it assigned roles to each of the other AIs based on what kind of skill sets he had. For instance, Lama is really good at math. And so um, not only can you reduce the cost, but you can dramatically increase the efficiencies of the model and reduce things like bias. So these kind of new models are coming out. And you can imagine in the fashion industry uh, or any industry applying those models, it gives you an expert opinion in a 360 degree view. Absolutely. And um, fashion's really interesting because you've got the digital side, which is digital fashion in games and in the metaverse. And then you've got the physical side and all of the supply chain and all of the sustainable issue uh, issues around that, uh, the amount of cotton that's produced that uses a lot of water. Um, you've got, I wouldn't say slavery, but you've got, um, you know, some bad business practices across the industry. So a lot of uh, issues that can should, can and should be tackled. Plus, it's one of the most exclusive industries. It's really hard to get into. Lots of people want to work in the fashion industry, and then they enter into it, and they're they're not being paid that much. Or um, you know, designers get their IP 
sort of stolen by bigger brands. So, so many issues that can be tackled. Um, and I'm a big one for ethics in general. So trying to look at solutions using technology that will help make the fashion industry more sustainable, but also support, um, you know, creatives all around the world. So you can get designers propping up in Latin America or in India, and we can see the next Coco Chanel coming from, from those um, sort of those countries, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you use some of these tools, uh, you know, like uh, generative AI and steroids, but you could go out and it could actually forecast what kind of designs and actually create the designs, right, for that particular region. Actually could do it hypersensitively or hyperpersonally and go down and do it for that particular person. And so if you look at the evolution, kind of like your grandmother, you know, that knows what you want before you want it and cares about you loving and, and compassionately, cares about who you are and what you do. But these models are fascinating. So you've been involved in this for what, 2011, if I recall, right? You So you got started. So uh, ever since COVID-19, um, I've been involved in um, more, more, more so on the kind of um, community building, partnership event side of things, but at the forefront of these new technologies that are looking at games, NFTs, the metaverse. Um, but in my early 20s, I started out um, as a product manager building a social network. So our team was in India. Um, so early on in my career, it was all about learning how to build technology, how to manage teams, then um, working at bigger companies like HelloFresh and Badoo, where it was all about optimization with data. Um, and then, yes, I, I suppose COVID-19 was the, the sort of turning point where I started to build my network and um, meet people across different industries and disciplines and start to make those those connections. Um, and that's where it became more kind of creative. I could see how fashion could learn from sports or from the food industry or, or vice versa. And um, I'm having a lot of fun in this kind of creative space. So when you got started, you were at foot when you got started, right? FCB Global. And you were, you were um, so you were doing a key account management and how do you go from key account management to become a technical product manager? So I, ever since boarding school, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I went to the same boarding school as Richard Branson. I had dyslexia. I was terrible at school, terrible at uni. Didn't like any of the subjects. I found school really boring. Uh, but then I read his book and we had a very similar personality trait. So I followed in his footsteps and I joined uh, the Journalism Society and started that and then the Debating Society. And one of his key mantras was to always push yourself outside of your comfort zone and comfort circle. And as a very shy and introverted young woman who is creative and sensitive and all of these things, that then helped me to you know, incrementally always look for, for challenges. Um, and in my early 20s, it was all about um, social media. So I'd go to all of these tech events, meet entrepreneurs and investors, and it was just this amazing time of optimism. Um, so we thought that social networks were going to connect the world and make the world a better place. Um, and it was a lot of fun building this Facebook style application. It was almost a ripoff, um, but with a lot of extra functionality. Um, and we went to all of the universities and um, got the universities to compete to to get people on the platform. The BBC wanted to do a documentary on us. Luckily, we didn't because we were all very young and we didn't really know what we were doing at the time. 
Um, and then mobile came along and, and we had to strip away this big complex um, sort of uh, social network and then just focus on messaging. And at that time it actually took off when we went from, you know, 15 different features to just one that we did really well. But then the issue was um, moderation of people sending inappropriate messages on the platform. So how did you moderate it? Well, obviously I'm a, I'm a woman in, in the, uh, you know, in the industry. So I was always flagging, you know, we have to moderate the content. We have to take this down. But unfortunately there was, Another side of, of the business, which is all about performance and showcasing to investors that we've got, you know, loads of messages are being sent on the platform. So there was a lot, there was an element of short term thinking, uh, which actually eventually caused a lot of the women to sort of drop off the app, which was exactly this, the issue that Bumble was facing, uh, has tackled with women um, approaching men first, because Otherwise, in the dating context, men can feel rejected and then they become hostile. So that, that was the solution that she came up with. So women, wait a minute. So the short term you said, and women approaching men, so it's better for women so, to approach men or men to approach women? So um, a lot of these social networks, some of them survived and many of them turned into dating apps. So I joined Badoo that has Bumble and a plethora of different dating apps under its umbrella. Um, and what Bumble did, is, so I didn't work for Bumble, but I worked for Badoo on the payment side. What Bumble did is they allowed women to approach men first. And the benefit of that was women tend to be more selective when it comes to dating. So when they're connecting with someone, they're going to follow through. Whereas men on um, Tinder, let's say they will just, it's a numbers game. And, and they'll bombard uh, women with messages. They won't get a reply. Then they'll get hostile. And so you go from a, you know, a warm, friendly conversation to something which then becomes a bit more, um, you know, not conducive to actually people dating and, and meeting and going off and forming a relationship. Huh, that's interesting. So, you know, and the, so the women follow through, the men don't follow through. And what are the women looking for? On a dating app? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't been on a dating app for a while. But um, what what I work for, what I did within Badoo is I was on the payments team and we were localizing pricing and having, you know, implementing different payments, whether it was mobile payments and things like that. So I was fascinated to see that actually we had such a, you know, really large demographic of, uh, of users in the Philippines but their behavior is completely different in different countries. So um, I became really fascinated in, in localization, yeah, which is actually quite important. Trying to figure out what each one of the countries would want, you know, so the women are going out there and the guys are just doing mass on it. It's just quite, it's interesting, actually. You know, yeah. what's driving them and what's going to, you know, is it a relationship kind of thing or is it like uh you know, dating to just see who's out there that could be interesting. It's fascinating. It's exactly the same thing as what I was saying before with the mobile app and that the vanity metrics. What what is the incentive of the dating app? Is it to actually form, you know, functioning relationships, or is it to you know entertain you for a while and and you know 
just keep you engaged on the platform. Yeah, that's interesting. So what is it though? That's the point, right? Is it tenor? I mean, sometimes it's to entertain you for a while because you want to go out to go to the movies or go to dinner or take a walk on the beach. It's just fascinating, actually. And then is it really for the end goal or not? You know, and and uh, I mean, I think the dating market that they have a lot of room to still evolve and look at okay can we merge dating with um you know hospitality and and travel do people actually want to do things together so are we going to then encourage people to move from um just talking to then sharing their calendar and seeing people's availability to then actually doing something and then you can get those businesses to provide a discount for couples um and uh and that would be quite groups cool. maybe it'd be easier with groups right or groups i mean that's how we used to date you know we would go to church or we would meet for our friends um and i think maybe we're going to go full circle and and realize that you know too much choice is no it isn't a good thing and we want to go back to more sort of selective um which which actually ties in really nicely with generative ai right now just like on the date you know tinder and all of these dating apps opened up the world to us to so many choices but actually had the inverse effect lots of people complain about dating apps i think the same will be true with what generative ai we can create so much content and then but it's valueless and and the more content we put into the model the dumber it gets so you know it's it's almost a, a losing battle well, that's the, you know, so a couple of things. One is that's the problem of infobesity, right? We're overloaded. I mean, think about it. You're a smart lady, but how many times in the last two weeks has somebody said, Francesca, I sent you a message. Did you get it? Where did you send send it? I sent it to your email. Which one? Uh, one of seven. Uh, when did you send it? I sent it uh, three days ago. Uh, let me check. I can't find it. Will you send it again? This And I mean, a lot of people are using things like WhatsApp in lieu of email because they can't find the email anymore. Yeah. They're trying to find something to filter. It's crazy. It's like, you know, and then there'll be WhatsApp. It'll go to Telegram or Signal. It'll just keep moving around. And the problem is still the, the root problem is infobesity. And I think, you know, what you're saying is on the dating side, you're right. It's, you know, there's a lot of choices out there. And so you've got all these choices that we never had before. How do you find the best person for you, right, in a hyper-personalized way? And the other thing is, and you know, is it a continuum that keeps changing all the time because we change, right? Is it different uh, yeah. today than it was two weeks ago or a month ago? Yeah, no, I, I um, had this really interesting story about how AI and dating would work together. So imagine you've got this middle-aged lady who uh, finds a chatbot and it's a dating coach. And the chatbot asks lots of questions about her and says, oh, okay, I've got the perfect man for you. And I'm going to set up this date for you. You don't even have to talk to them. And she's like, perfect. I'll just turn up at this date. And she has a terrible date. You know, it's a man and he's talking about his ex-wife. He's divorced and he's just drinking a lot and things. So she then goes back to the to the uh, the chatbot and says, oh, that was terrible. And he said, okay, well, you know, don't worry. I'll find you someone else. And the end result of that is that she actually falls in love with a chatbot and doesn't want to meet a man because a chatbot is actually answering her and listening to her understanding her and is there at any moment of the day and is empathetic 
So that's um, a bit of a concern <laughs> um, when we suddenly have. Well, you know that that, but the part of it. Uh, there's a company called Replica that actually I remember talking to Jenya Kuda many years ago, and she developed. Uh, you know, this is uh, many years ago, but she developed this incredible chatbot. And you're right about it. I mean, the one thing is, it's about empathetic listening, compassion. Who can really fill those needs? And sometimes it's just loneliness. I mean, we use our uh, mobile phones and sometimes it's really a barrier to people. It's not like a gateway into their soul. It's really a barrier. And mm. it's not the kind of things you're right. We walk to church holding hands. You come out of church holding hands. You go to, uh, you know, your Saturday night uh, in the city. And if you're, you know, in a uh, town outside of London and go in and, you know, have a little mm -hmm. community town thing. It's just those times have changed. And, you know, the, again, it goes back to infobesity. We have so much data in front of us. It's really hard to make sense of it. It's yeah, really absolutely. Hard. And I think as all people, we have our sort of public persona. So what you have on, say, LinkedIn, your own personal website, your personal branding, and then you've got your private persona, which will be everything that you actually consume, maybe on YouTube, and you might not want people to see what what channels you're, you're subscribing to or the, mis the, the music you're listening to or the Netflix movies you're watching, but that's actually the real person. So when you get into that sort of data, um, that's where you can probably match people up. And um, having worked in a social network- But the problem is nobody wants people to go into that data no, it's very invasive. You want to just, you know, slowly but surely um, reveal who you really are, I suppose. Yeah, so you go down through and, you know, and I, I know when we formed Findo, which is one of my first uh, generative AI companies, uh, people, you know, they wanted to find the information, but they would have like thousands. I mean, I have 8,000 pictures now, uh, you know, inside of my own private cloud. And, you know, the situation, I don't even remember what I have in there anymore. It's been a long time. <laughs> you know, and so I, I have no idea. I know there's some, you know, old the girlfriends that are in there. I'm sure I have no idea where they are. But now with these tools, the thing is we can uncover those digital treasures. Mm -hmm. where we find things that we've never had. The other thing is it surely does make our life a lot better if you know who you are and if we did an um, analysis based on all that information, your Netflix, your Prime, who you really are it would definitely make a better match if the person's willing to be open about who they are. Absolutely. And lots of people fake who they are in dating, and that's that's where they get it wrong. It's better to be authentic and for people to reject you and then to find the right person. Um, but yes, when I was working um, at uni, which was a social network, we had to decide uh, on the onboarding process, how much information are we going to take from the users? Is it just their name? Is it their gender? Is it what cuisine they like? What movies do they like? And we wanted to do exactly that, to match people up and so they could befriend one another and maybe date and all of those sorts of things. Um, and data is so important for so many facets of, of, of a business. So. If you're a marketeer or you're an advertiser, you can, um, you know, target someone based on that person. And when you're looking at data of 
personas or you're segmenting all of your customers into different segments, you can go by market, which is, you know, country and what language they speak. Then you can go by demographic. Are they single? What age are they? How much money do they have? Or you, those sorts of um, status um, external things. And then you've got psychographics. And there are lots of different, really interesting um, psychographic frameworks. Ocean is one of them, and it will look at your conscientiousness, your openness, your neuroticism. I've actually bought a book. I, I'm quite fascinated with this concept. Um, and that's really the, the heart and soul of, for marketeers, they want to touch people on more of an emotional um side to make these emotional based and so what kind of emotion does it do what what you use it right what does well, it do for you how so, does it how does it make you feel it so i think if if you're a marketeer in the the b2b sense and you are going for procurement teams who are very rational and they're just looking at price and features and how easy is it to onboard my team that's one decision but if you're looking at customers um, and, and consumers who are more, uh, they're making impulse purchases, that those will all be emotionally driven or status driven. And, and um, so, for example, fashion, music and sports, the reason why we consume them as much as we enjoy them and we're getting entertained, it's also a form of social signaling um, so that we are part of a community of like-minded people. If you're into golf, you want to meet other golfers. If you're into um, yacht, yachting or hip hop, you're saying I am part of that that community and I belong there. Um, so you can meet other people. So it's it's all to do with our, our drives are all social. I think at the end of the day. So you think all the drives are social? So everything we do is based on. Social. Yeah, even you know status. It's how we are seen to. Uh, you know to other people how uh, I, I think that we're very we're social creatures at the end of the day yeah no it's interesting you know if you look at my maslow's hierarchy and needs at the very highest level you know um self-actualization level it's a little bit different you are who you are very interesting i know a lot of uh, uh ultra high net worth families and uh friends of mine and they get to a certain point they can buy anything they want and what do they drive a pickup truck Right. And they're happy driving it. And they're, uh, you know, they get to a point they don't really care. It's very interesting. But, you know, you're right. For most of the people, there's certain things that you want, need, there's certain things you like, certain things. That, and um, the other part is, you know, what makes you happy? Happiness is the most important thing, isn't it? When it's all said and done, how do you feel? Are you happy about something? And, mm. and can you internalize it so that you can take that joy and that spirit and bring it out for other people? You know, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't conquered that one. I go through, you know, a roller coaster of emotions, especially being, you know, an entrepreneur. But the reason why I'm also an entrepreneur and I've tried to be at the forefront of technology is I can see how these technologies are going to disrupt every single industry. And my motto has always been the eye of the storm is the calmest place. Everywhere else, you know, you're just you know, a year behind and, you know, you're trying to cling on to the old ways and things are going to change and you're resisting it. So I just prefer to be, you know, leading the charge as much as possible or working with other innovators and coming up with new ideas and using these new technologies in a very 
positive way. Um, yes, there are people who will use the technology to just make lots of money and rip people off and lots of snake oils people. So it's important to just be discerning. Um, and that actually goes back to happiness. It's who you surround yourself with. If you've got people who have similar values and mission in life, if you're surrounded by, you know, sharky people who are going to stab your, stab your back at any moment in time, that's not a recipe for well, some people uh, like it. You know what I mean? They like to be around those sharky people. It's like the wolf yeah. of Wall Street. But you know, you go out, the life is uh, when it's all said and done. And, and I spoke twice at the UN about this technology is a tool for peace and also burning man. And, um, you know, we got to go out and we got to take some love and joy and happiness and spread around the world. And one of the ways that we can do that is create incredible jobs and opportunities for everybody. You know, there's 1.4 billion people in Africa and 54 countries. We got to reach out across the aisle, and, you know, and see how we can work together. We got a lot of challenges on this planet, you know, um, from everything with uh, uh, the AMOC, the um, Atlantic Current shutting down as early as 2025 to um, global warming. Right. Mm -hmm. We got to solve these problems. The way we do it is together. So we're coming up to the top of the hour. Fi closing thoughts and how do people get a hold of you, Francesca? Um, closing thoughts are, um, you know, start your entrepreneurial journey um, and um, learn about AI and new technologies and uh, follow your passion, I suppose. Um, and I have Jenny Icon. So we are looking at how generative AI is disrupting different industries. So there's a very educational. We've got lots of different communities that you can be a part of. Um, and if you're looking to invest in a female founder, then reach out to me. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. And thanks to all my audience for joining one more time. GSD presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Stay happy. Stay safe and stay healthy, and I'll be back to you again in a couple of days with another exciting edition. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.